Hey, everybody. Today on the Charlie Kirk Show, a speech I gave at the Preborn Gala. It's a really great organization. We are honored to be partners with them. Uh, I'm a donor to Preborn. Uh, you guys could check it out at preborn.com. Uh, a $15,000 gift can buy an ultrasound machine. They are trying to save hundreds of thousands of lives. At preborn.com, uh, they have over 270,000 babies saved. They have 355 ultrasound machines placed. So you guys got to check it out right now, preborn.com. The whole speech is given at Preborn, and I challenge you to support Preborn if you can. Uh, you also can go to charliekirk.com and just tell them that we sent you so that they can see that our show has the collective support of preborn.com. Email us, as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. Get involved with Turning Point USA and become a member. It's members.charliekirk.com. Enjoy this speech at Preborn's Gala, the fight for life. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Noble Gold Investments is the official gold sponsor of The Charlie Kirk Show a company that specializes in gold IRAs and physical delivery of precious metals. Learn how you could protect your wealth with Noble Gold Investments at noblegoldinvestments.com. That is noblegoldinvestments.com. It's where I buy all of my gold. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Hi, everybody. Great to be here. Um, first, this is a super important effort that we're all supporting here. It has been a very difficult week in our family Praise God that things are trending better. But I made a point of being here, and I'll tell that story at a different time, because it is so important that now more than ever we stand for life in this country when so many people are turning their back on this issue and they think it's too controversial time to turn the page. And I, I'm just going to kind of just do a flow of consciousness on this and then give a little bit uh, of an update of what I'm seeing on campuses, and then you want me to do some questions? Is that, is that right, Dan? Okay. Um, so Roe versus Wade gets repealed. And praise God, by the way, I mean, we should applaud. That's an incredible victory. I just, and I, I feel like Jeb Bush, like, please clap. Why do I have to tell you to clap for that? But you know what's really interesting? When I go to churches and I say Roe for Soy is repealed, rarely do I get applause. And I don't know what the reason is. My working theory is, though, that we're so afraid of this issue that we're going to get audited or the FBI is going to show up because we celebrate life. That we're like programmed that we just nod in like gentle agreement, maybe. Well, yes, Roe versus Wade. Do you know that, again, we, we have three different surveys to show this. Do you know that only 15% of American churches mentioned and celebrated the reversal of Roe versus Wade from the pulpit? That 85% of American churches just said, nah, I'm not interested. And we, we ask the question all the time, when is God going to intervene with a miracle? That was a miracle, everybody. I was told my entire... My, 11 years of doing this, that, that was, that's never going to happen. That don't even think about it. Don't even whisper about it. You will never go after the sacred cow of Roe versus Wade. God works in a mysterious ways. I think the only, the most surprising thing is we were not ready for this, like at all. Like we, it happens and we're shocked and we're like, what do we do now? 
And, I mean, they're, they, not only were they ready, they leaked the decision ahead of time, remember, illegally leaked it, and they said, oh, we can't find the leaker. They can find an 82-year-old grandma patriot who took a selfie in the Rotunda Capitol within five hours that they can't find one of the four people that had access to this decision that leaked Roe versus Wade before. Like, give me a break, Department of Justice. No, no, it was a cover-up operation, and they did it because they wanted to try to get the forces ready. They leaked the decision because they did it as a signal to the radical Marxist death cult, and I'll I'll explain that in a second. That might sound dramatic, but it's 100% what's happening in this country, to try to get the activists ready. Brett Kavanaugh almost got murdered in his home over this decision. They almost killed Brett Kavanaugh because he wanted to send it back to the states. And here's your thought crime for the night. The decision didn't go far enough. It was completely indifferent on the topic of abortion. It just said that we're not going to say as the federal government whether it's a constitutional right or not. And they say, oh, we'll let the states decide. And if it wasn't for preborn, I would be super just confused and depressed because there has never been, in my opinion, a more disjointed time in the pro-life movement. I just, there's like no direction and people are angry at each other. And in fact, I have, you know, we, we raise a lot of money at Turning Point USA, praise God. I have, I'd say a majority of our donors are saying, can you just like stop talking about the abortion thing? Like honestly, if we have two pro-abortion political parties in this country, I'm not interested in politics anymore. I'm not. If we have two pro-abortion political parties and we have one that stands for tax cuts and both stand for abortion, then th- I'm not, I'm not going to be involved in that. I'll, I'll go be a college football coach or something. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. If you don't get life right, you're not going to get all the other issues correct, period. It is the issue that impacts every other issue. And we must be willing to lose friends or lose donors or whatever. And in fact, this is a winning issue. I know this is a hard thing for people to understand and comprehend. You don't win on it if you retreat and apologize. But life is the central part of what keeps this republic together. It is the contract that the founding fathers passed down through multiple generations. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You don't have life, you don't have a republic. And Preborn is leading the charge. I mean, I had this amazing meeting with Dan and the team. This organization is unlike any other in the pro-life space. And I know a couple. There's a lot of talkers out there in the pro-life space. What do you do? Oh, you know, we, we do. And again, some of it's fine and all this. This is real, proven We help women get the care that they need away from the Planned Parenthood butchers of what they are. And that's one of the most noble things that we could support. And I said this to Dan, and he chuckled. I said, there's no reason why Preborn shouldn't be a four to $500 million organization in a couple years. That's how big we need to think. And Preborn's the first organization I've seen. And again, I'm not trying to attack these other ones, but they think so small. And honestly, God bless pregnancy crisis centers, right? Or uh, what do we call them now? Um, Pregnancy care centers. I'm, I'm sorry, I got like yelled at once for calling it a crisis. Like, they like they went to this like rebrand, I guess, or something. Um, or maybe they're still called pregnancy crisis centers. I don't know. But God bless them. But they're usually all volunteer labor and four or five people working together and working on a shoestring budget. We need a machine to go up against the Planned Parenthood beast. We need it. We need to think bigger. We need to get more aggressive. By the way. Because this is, and this is where I can come in, and I think I can lean this, because you are the nicest, sweetest people ever. I mean, it's amazing. Like, the joy in this room and the photo line, like, there's gonna be like, a sad person. So I could be super helpful here, because I'm very aggressive. Like, and I'm kind of known for that. Like, we have to play offense against the pro-abortion forces in this country, okay? We have to play offense with all things in truth and love. So what does that look like? We have to scale preborn. We have to think bigger. We have to 10x the whole operation. 
There should not be a single woman in this country that types into Google, you know, I have, I have a, I'm pregnant and I would like to have an abortion. They need to be able to hear the other side. They need to be able to hear the other side. And preborn does it in this compassionate, merciful, godly way that is just so inspiring and amazing. And we must be very clear about what we're up against. Uh, if you ask any practicing Jew, they'll tell you that the two biggest things that they celebrate and they'll remember is creation, which they do every single Friday night to Saturday night, and Shabbat and the Exodus. Creation and the Exodus. And the Exodus, we teach this story incompletely. We say, well, it's an Exodus from slavery. Well, the Egyptians, they were a death cult. The pyramids were tombs. The entire civilization was built around a fascination of death. Judaism, which then led to Christ our Lord, was focused on the opposite. You ask any Jew, hey, toast, they'll say, l'haim, to life. In the holy, they're not even allowed to touch dead bodies. The rabbis or people that are in the administration of holy, they're so outside of the idea that death is a good thing. We have re-entered the death cult in this country. You think about how much we elevate death, whether it be the chopping off of parts and we call it transgender care, whether it be shouting our abortion, and you see it so beautifully in John 10.10. It is the divide of the entire scriptures. Somebody put me on the spot once. They said, Charlie, how do you summarize the Bible you know, as quickly as possible? I said, boy, that's, that's big. Now, most people would say John 3.16, but think about it. The enemy has come to lie, steal, cheat, and destroy. I have come to give life and life more abundantly. That's the whole ball game, everybody. It is everything. It is the synopsis of, it is why we are here, is to life. And I, I do, at times I hear sometimes people, they say, you know, I can't wait for the rapture to come. It's ne- coming next Thursday. And, um, and again, I'm all into like those fun eschatological things, you know, pre-trib, post-trib. I'm a pan-trib. It's all going to pan out in the end. And if I offended you, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to be on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee, right? But God so loved the world. God loves this place. And we have to have the joy of Jesus Christ to enjoy life and to protect it. It's a gift from above and to celebrate it. And at times, and I did not get this impression from a single person here tonight, but at times, other ministries, it feels as if they're like life neutral. And they're like, yeah, this place is kind of like an inconvenience. I don't know where that came from, but it's not anywhere in the Bible. We're supposed to have joy through all the suffering. Thank God that we're going through these tough times. That the fact that we have breath given to us by this eternal God who loved us, like, thank you for choosing me to fight for the most important things. It's a completely different type of attitude, and that is the basis of exactly why we're all here tonight. And I just love the first book of Exodus, uh, because it goes through, of course, then rose a king of Egypt who did not know Joseph. I could riff on that for quite a while. That, that summarizes millennials and Gen Z really well. Then rose a generation of America who did not know George Washington. Then rose a generation over this country who did not know Abraham Lincoln, right? You get tyranny when you forget the past. So you had a great pharaoh that knew Joseph, loved this guy. Then rose a pharaoh who did not know Joseph, and you get tyranny and totalitarianism. You get tyranny when you forget. You get totalitarianism when you don't know what happened before. But later on, I love this. When it was, as clear as day, the Egyptian form of abortion. The king says, the Jews are too many, they're scattered. Get rid of them. I command you to kill the firstborn. I command you to kill the firstborn. And so the midwives to the Hebrews, actually, we don't know if they're Hebrew or Egyptian. That's a separate theological point for a different time. But the midwives to the Hebrews heard the order, and what did they do? They defied it. Why? Because they feared God. I want you to think about that. Now, that's a separate but important point, that any church that ever tells you that you must submit unconditionally to government authority 
is not following the Bible, period. That's a separate but an important point. And I'll... Resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. I'm happy to get into the Romans 13 argument later if you guys are really wanting to geek out about it. But here's what I, here's what I love about this. And God dealt favorably with the midwives and gave them families. He blessed them for loving life. He blessed them for saving babies. That is as clear as day that the most important, literally the axis point of which the entire Old Testament is centered around, creation and exodus. The entire Old Testament story right there started with the first documented act of civil disobedience and putting God above government rulers. Now, how does that apply with this? You must love life more than you love the comfort of doing what you're always told or what is easy. And what is so amazing is these midwives, when they do this, this is why I think they were Egyptian. I'm happy to get into that later if you're really interested in it. They would only get, like, scolded by Pharaoh. They, I mean, if they were actually Hebrew midwives defying Pharaoh, he would have cut their heads off. And he's like, what are you doing? Why did you do this? They increased in number. And you remember what they said? The Hebrews, are, the women are so strong that they give birth. to like the stupidest excuse ever. <laughs> they kind of told a white lie. And God still loved them. Now, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should even lie a little bit or all that. What I am saying, though, is that they understood the stakes, that nothing, including going in front of what is God, literally, in the ancient world, Pharaoh was God. They disobeyed the cult death god because they loved babies. And God blessed them because of that. And then we get Moses, and he delivers them. That is the cause set in motion, as clear as day. And then I have to be lectured by some of these pastors can I say, I don't, I don't, can I have like a reputation for naming out these pastors? I, I won't, because you guys are so sweet, but you could guess who they are. All right, I'll name one, Andy Stanley. And um, so amongst other people, I said, I said just one. And he was like, oh, you know, the scriptures aren't clear about what abortion says, and I'm sure it's bad. Are you kidding me? Like I knew you before you were in the womb? And not just this story, but if you can't get life right, and the miracle of that, and be indifferent to that, that court of like fake, weird neutrality, don't, don't call yourself a pastor anymore. I'm not saying you're not a pastor. Just don't use that title. You can go be a TED Talk guy like on YouTube. You, like wear skinny jeans and like give motivational speeches and like write that like five steps to a better you and sell it on Amazon, which is basically what most churches have become now, which is a TED Talk and a rock concert with organized parking and good coffee. And... <laughs> I'm going to get the hook really quick here, by the way. Because we're in the midst of a spiritual war, and I don't need, like, Oprah Winfrey's book list, like, repurposed with Hillsong music. Like, I don't need that, actually. I need the equipping of the saints to go into the spiritual war and to fight for life against the darkest of all forces. So I'll close with this, and then we'll do some questions if Dan wants, or I might just, you know, get cut. Sorry, we're out of time, um, which is fine. There are so many amazing pastors in this country right now, and they're not a majority, but there is a remnant like I've never seen before. Jack Hibbs is one that I heard from a lot of people. He does a great job. And I, I, as I'm traveling the country meeting these pastors. We have TPUSA Faith. We're reaching out to these pastors. Our mission statement is super simple. We want to kick wokeism out of the American church as quickly as possible, and we want to get the church to be bold, strong, and courageous like they once were and how Billy Graham had the church in the 1950s and early 1960s. It's that simple. The church can't get back to that. And what I hear sometimes from pastors or elders, they say, boy, I don't want to be political. It's like, 
whoever says anything about political is being biblical. Do what the Bible says. And if that gets deemed as political, then you have a much deeper problem on your elder board than what the scriptures say. And they say, well, it's really not clear in the Bible whether or not we should care about politics. Really? Nehemiah, Esther, Jeremiah, Daniel, Joseph, Mordecai, just to name a few of people that are considered heroes in the scriptures. Not to mention Jeremiah 29.7, before Jeremiah 29.11, which is the most quoted scriptures, which is demand or seek the welfare of the nation that you are in because your welfare is tied to your nation's welfare. We're called to fast and pray for our leaders by name in one of the last things that Paul wrote to young Timothy. We're supposed to care about the nation. Daniel fasted and prayed for his nation, disobeyed the, disobeyed the civil government authorities when they said you can't pray, did so publicly, landed up in the lion's den. I'm not saying it's the most important thing. The most important thing is winning souls for Jesus Christ. The second most important thing is to make sure you can do the first thing. And when they start calling churches non-essential and marijuana stores and drug stores and liquor stores and strip clubs are deemed essential and abortion factories are deemed essential and we as the church kind of take it, oh, well, I guess they took Easter from us and they took Pentecost from us and I have to wear three masks and take the ninth booster and maybe we'll be able to reopen. We are nothing more than an attache to the Leviathan, to the government. The church must lead the culture, not follow the state to their aimless ambitions and goals. And what I love about preborn is the energy and the gusto. And I, I know an entrepreneur that is playing to win when I see one, and that is Dan Steiner. And he is, he is thinking big. He is thinking innovatively. He has a great team around him. And I want to do whatever, whatever I possibly can to help preborn. And I think we hit our target on our show, and we're going to hopefully hit even more. And we're challenged. Glenn is leading the way in challenging the audience to not just vote pro-life, but give pro-life. And you're all a big, you're a very, very big part of that because it is, there is a temptation out there right now. And I want to just tell you, we must resist it. There's this temptation that we cast this issue aside. How does that honor God? It doesn't. How on earth can we say to honor God, to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind? It says in Deuteronomy 6, 5, which is, you know, what Jesus Christ said is one of the two verses, two commandments of which all the laws of the prophet hang Hang upon. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a pro-life position, by the way. You were born. Other people should be born. Boom. That's Leviticus 19. And then Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Those two together come at the ultimate argument of pro-life positions. And so I'm, I'm honored to be fighting for this. I do so on terrain largely that is not easy on college campuses. I, I, I'm not going to mislead you. It, it, is, it is not a winning position currently. I don't care. People say, but Charlie, wouldn't you be able to win over more young people if you compromised? I said, but, but what about the people I'm moving in our direction because I don't compromise? And by the way, in the pursuit of truth, all things are noble. All things are important. As it says in Philippians, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is praiseworthy, think on these things. And there's, there's some really good things happening on campuses, and there's some not-so-good things. The, the good things, young men are the most conservative that we have seen in the last 50 years. The most conservative in 50 years. Young ladies are a complete opportunity. <laughs> got, got a lot of challenges there. Happy to talk about that in the Q&A. But when I go to these campuses, yeah, my life would be easier if I just said, you know, I'm here tonight to talk to you about just tax cuts, why socialism is bad, but the abortion thing, live and let live and do whatever you want to do. I, why, why, would, why would I even do my job? And my challenge to you is don't cop out, and I know you are, in your personal life. 
on your church elder board. Wherever you are, this must be a primary doctrine issue. It must be a leading issue, a non-compromising issue, because this is the issue, in my personal opinion, here today, of which many other and almost all other issues flow from. Okay, um, I'm 20 seconds early. Let's do some questions. Is that okay, Dan? Q&A. All right. Hi, Charlie. How are we supposed to feel about, and what do you think we should do about the portion of our tax dollars that are used to support Planned Parenthood? That's a great question. We're, we're not going to defund Planned Parenthood anytime soon. I'm not exactly a fan of Speaker Johnson, if you listen to my show. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I think he's a coward. And, uh, I mean, how many continuing resolutions do we have to put up with while our border is completely wide open and women are sex trafficked? That's a pro-life issue, by the way. The border is a pro-life issue. And if you're not willing to shut down the government while we are being systematically invaded and women are being raped and fentanyl is coming into our community, I'm not saying he's a bad person. I'm just saying he's not Churchill. He's not the leader that we need right now. Okay? God bless him. I mean this non-sarcastically. I'm praying for him. So we're not, we're not, Planned Parenthood is not going to get cut federally anytime soon. However, and Glenn might disagree with this later on, and I, I think that red states need to start funding organizations like Preborn directly so that we can start to scale our best organizations and to be able to compete against Planned Parenthood. I don't say that lightly. My kind of inner libertarian says, boy, do I really want to get taxpayer money? But I'm like, but if we're funding every form of health care imaginable, why would we not also have, I mean, could you imagine an extra 10 million a year to preborn from, you know, what would that mean from Oklahoma? It's a rounding error in the budget of Oklahoma. It's something to think about. It's against, let's just say, traditional conservative budgetary practices, right? But if Planned Parenthood and all these fake healthcare companies are getting billions of dollars of taxpayer dollars, then I, I think we should start to entertain ways that you know, we can at least start to scale organizations like this. Because the way Planned Parenthood works, they're a bunch of liars. They say that none of the money goes to abortion. That's technically, they, they pass an audit, but it's not true. They just fund everything else. They fund all their overhead. They fund all their marketing. They fund all their salaries. And then they find some other pool of money to quote unquote pay for abortions because they charge women for abortions. That's right. Right? So it's just, they, they, well, we'll pay for the building and we'll pay for the you know, facilities and we'll pay for all the machinery. And look, I mean, we, we should have an, we should, but we're getting, a, the, the abortion is such a, fin- this is why I know we're in a spiritual war. I don't think I know we're in a spiritual war. The, the way the other side acts when you even talk about abortion reasonably, hey, they start like shaking violently. I mean, I, I, I believe that this is a primary issue for Satan. Of course it is. He wants everyone dead. He wants to capture everybody. And it's easier on him if he could do it in the womb than out in the rest of the world. Follow-up question to what we just talked about. I don't know why we can't get rid of Planned Parenthood. I really don't. So a majority of Republican congressmen are not pro-life. They say they are, and they LARP, live-action role-play, as pro-lifers <laughs> in Congress. They're just not. And, but I don't want to get too deep into the black pill territory. If you know what black pilling is, it's just like an endless hole of depressing topics. <laughs> but I, I actually, I am going to white pill you, which is the opposite. It's really good. I actually said this to Dan earlier. It feels as if we're in this like communist-infested country, because we kind of are. But the country is actually center-right. On almost every major issue, the country is moving center-right. Affirmative action on guns, on freedom of speech, on colorblindness to come into school, in meritocracy, on the grooming of our kids. We control 32 attorneys general. We control over 31 governor's mansions. We control 30 state legislatures. The people have never been more conservative in my 10, 11 years of doing this. However, 
D.C. has never been more disconnected from their voters, and so defiantly so. And, again, I don't want to get too into the weeds of politics, but um, I, 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 I've been so disappointed in how this House Republicans have dealt with these major issues and budgets. They're not going to cut Planned Parenthood. They're not going to cut the FBI. They're just going to keep on passing, quote, unquote, clean continuing resolutions when we borrow $2 trillion. And, you know, if, if, if the border invasion is not reason enough to draw a line in the sand, they're, they're never going to get to the more controversial stuff like defunding Planned Parenthood. So, yeah, it may part of it may be, too, is we haven't been loud enough about how about how what we believe Planned yes. Parenthood is doing. Yeah, and, and we, we have to – this is why I think we have to play offense and we have to expose. And any way you can help David DeLion in California, they're going after him big time. I mean, Planned Parenthood offers – they offer themselves as if they're the sterling health care provider, when in reality they are, they are the moral equivalent of Auschwitz in America. And I will say that publicly on my show, that they are the moral equivalent – by the way, it's the same philosophical tradition – I don't want to call it a tradition, okay? Like Adolf Hitler was blown away by Margaret Sanger's writings and vice versa. They were fans of each other. Margaret Sanger wanted to control the black population in this country, and honestly, her legacy lives on. And you want to connect two issues into one. You know, the other side says, oh, we need all these immigrants. First of all, we don't, but let's pretend that we need all these immigrants. Well, maybe you wouldn't need all these people if you didn't kill 60 million people over the last 51 years. Maybe you wouldn't need the Elon Omers of the world to come into Minneapolis and, you know, enrich us with your diversity or whatever they say that she does, right? We're killing our own people at major and systemic rates. And so, um, yeah, I think we have to be louder, and I think we have to play offense and expose Planned Parenthood for what it is. Charlie, you mentioned earlier that uh, you're seeing on college campuses that men are more uh, conservative than they, than they ever have been. Could you Could you talk a little to that as well as what you're seeing from a faith-based, the influence of faith-based college students? Yeah, so um, young men are becoming far more conservative. Some are coming back. To, they're not necessarily connecting back to the faith. American Christianity has become way too feminine. I get in a lot of trouble for saying that. I'm not saying that women do not have a role in American Christianity, but the whole attitude, the touchy feelings, has, been, is, has turned men away from the American church for quite some time. Happy to expound on that later if you guys are interested. But... Young men are becoming more and more to the right. Young ladies are going more and more to the left. What is behind this? I believe God has given young men, men in general, a primal instinct to see that the civilization is falling apart. And it is. Men are much better at macro topics than they are at micro topics. This is why you'll see a, if you go to a dinner party, the, the men are going to be talking about politics, sports, or the stock market. And the, young women, the women are going to be talking about relationships, how their kids are doing, or conversations they had. I'll prove it to you. Harvard University locked a man in a room for 30 minutes, and they locked women in the room for 30 minutes, and they said, okay, what did you think about, you know, the men, no big surprise, sports and sex, and the young ladies, this is fascinating, by the way, it's amazing, they said, what did you think about, um, they said, we were replaying conversations that we previously had, uh, for the record, no man in the history of the planet was, has replayed conversations that we previously had <laughs> in private time, that, that it's just, it's, it's just ne- never happened, um, and so men are far more, this is, this is, one of the reasons why men are better at chess than women, that's not a sexist thing, it's just true, which is why, this is why women are, become more nurses, they become more elementary school, they're much more focused on the micro. So on the macro, men are seeing total and complete civilizational decay and decline, and there's a fire alarm that's being set off in their head, and they're finding voices like Andrew Huberman on the health side, Joe Rogan, 
to a lesser extent Andrew Tate, but he's you know kind of a different category. And and they they want to they, they want to try to find a system of beliefs that makes sense. And the woke stuff is so against the laws of nature. Young ladies are so focused on empathy, feelings, being nice, and not offending anybody that these two things just come to a head, right? And, I mean, I go to these campuses, I'll talk for hundreds of hours, and the young men are, like, locked in. And I'll never forget, I was talking about how, you know, there's, you know, 15,000 people a day coming across the border, and they're trafficking children and all this whole thing. And the men are like, this is terrible, this is wrong. And, you know, the young ladies there, they said, but... I feel really bad that they have to go back to their country if we deport them, and I just think we should be more loving and have them come here. I was like, that's a perfect, that's a perfect example, right? The young men are thinking about like, how it's going to overturn our schools and the macro implications, and the young ladies are worried about an individual's feelings, which is fine. It's just you can't design public policy that way. It's actually a really dangerous way to do that. So, yeah, look, as far from the faith-based perspective, we haven't yet seen it turn into a revival that we want to see. Um, there's some early stages of that. Uh, but I, I will say that the the trans issue in particular is turning young men further and further right wing. And if, I hate to over-racialize it, but young white men feel as if the entire world is rigged against them. Yeah. And they're right. I reject racial identitarian politics. I don't play into, like, victim nonsense. I hate it. It's repulsive. I don't want to live in that country. But they're not wrong when they say that hiring quotas and diversity, equity, inclusion, and affirmative action that say that, you know, we're not going to hire people based on the color of their skin – that creates a fair amount of resentment. Charlie, what's your opinion on our elections? Is, uh, is the integrity I'm out of still... time. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Is the integrity of our election process still intact? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah I, I, well, well. <laughs> Glenn and I had a really great conversation earlier, and I don't want to – it was, like, really great. Um, it almost could have been like out of a movie where like overlooking the ocean. It was like kind of crazy. Um, I felt like I was, you know, something that all of a sudden we're going to think about for a long time. Look, are our elections secure? They're not secure enough. Um, but we have to work and act as if they're secure. Here's my promise to everybody. On election night, when ballots start getting counted, I'll be able to look into the camera and I'll say I've done everything I possibly can with my agency given me by God to speak at every place I can, to run our ballot chasing operation, to continue growing Turning Point. And I'll be able to rest easy that I did my part um, and duty is ours. And the results are going to be God's. Now, as far as the security of our elections, you want the honest answer? Like, we have not done enough to secure our elections in Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia, the states we need to win. I'm sorry. With that being said, there is a potential, there's a potential, and the bad guys are talking like this openly, that because of mass migration and all this nonsense that they've done, that they have set the prerequisite for a massive political correction coming in November. And it might be so overwhelming that even with all their shenanigans and tomfoolery and garbage, it might be overwhelming for them. And if there's one prayer for you to give, you need to pray for Donald Trump by name and pray yeah. for his family. You might not like Trump, but my goodness, he was the most pro-life president in our mm-hmm. history. He put the Supreme Court dresses on. And I can tell you this, he is a, and, and Glenn will attest to this, and I'll close with this. He is a man that is relentlessly curious about faith. I see God working at him, and I think God's hand is still on him. I see, I see it every single day, and he's very flawed. So am I. We all are. But he has virtues, too. And I don't know, if I was facing 700 years in federal prison and dozens of lawsuits and my business empire was about to be taken away from me, I think I would have folded. And he leaned in in a way that is almost defies all natural and human explanation. Um, so I look at him as a vessel, as a vessel for you know, what we care about, which is life, which is the restoration of 1776 and the Constitution. And he does it in an awfully unconventional way. And I, I, I that, yeah, you can, you can laugh at that. But... I think, he's, I think he's a King Cyrus-type figure. 
He's a King Cyrus type figure who, who was used by God for a specific purpose for something much bigger than him. So with that, God bless you guys and give generously to Preborn. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Email us as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. Thanks so much for listening and God bless. For more on many of these stories and news you can trust, go to charliekirk.com.